let's not make our kids superstars. And if they're really good, teach them how to help the kid who's not very good. And if they're not very good, teach them how to learn to find something that they've overcome, that they've learned that will empower them for life. I'm telling you. You're listening to the Birdie Dad podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian, and Trevor. This week on the podcast, we are joined by Dr. Brett McCabe, clinical and sports psychologist and author of the book, The Mindside Manifesto. Dr. McCabe has worked with amateur, collegiate, and professional golfers at the highest level, and he is a contributor to Golf Magazine. We sit down to talk about what separates amateurs from professional golfers and what we're doing as parents to negatively affect our kids' athletic performances. You won't want to miss this interview. Before we get into that, we are looking for your best dad jokes. Leave us a review on iTunes with your corniest dad joke to make us laugh out loud. I bet you can't top the last one. Now, let's get into that interview with Dr. McCabe. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, kind of funny times here. Is there, um what a year it's been in golf and life and everything. Hey, Dr. McCabe, give us an overview of your respective golf and dad games. <laughs> so um, the, I'm the dad of two 23-year-old, 19-year-old girls who both played high school golf, um, both, you know, did the girls golf thing. And, and I've, um, it was a, it was a decision that we made. They weren't super sports kids. I mean, they didn't, they weren't like playing soccer, softball, volleyball, everything. They, um, that had their own way of doing things, but we wanted them to play golf, um, because of what golf brings you, um, you know, character development, but also in the business world, it's an equal opportunity sport. You know, golf is a game where you can play for an entire lifetime. You can play with your grandparents. You can play with your kids. You can play with people of different sexes. You can play with different abilities and everybody has a good time together, for, you know, and, and so, um, I wanted them to be able to be proficient. So whatever careers they go into, if, if the leads of the organizations, the men and women are like, we're going to play golf. They're not like, Oh God, I got to go to the spa. So, you know, it's one of those things where I wanted them to do that. And, um, I started playing golf when I was five. My dad was a military. He was a um, Lieutenant Colonel in the air force and we were stationed in the Philippines. And when you're stationed overseas, um, you just do everything. I mean, you, you, you do everything you can on the base to stay busy. Um, and we played golf and I learned to play there and the Philippines has, just amazing golf. It's a huge golf culture. If you ever look at the history of golf um, and I learned to play there, but I didn't really stick with it. I, I gave it up because I was more of a baseball guy. My dad was a college baseball mm -hmm. player. So I always gravitated towards baseball. And, um, and when I was in high school, you know, I started playing a little bit again, not high school. I didn't play for the high school team. I just would go out and hit balls and have a good time. And then when I went to college and I went to play baseball at LSU, the, the guys, you're either a hunter and fisherman, you know, if you're in the Southeast, you got to understand in Baton Rouge, people go hunting and fish all the time or you play golf. And so I was in the contention of guys that as soon as practice was over, as soon as weights were over, we hit the, we hit the golf course immediately. And, you know, we'd play until dark and then go to weights at night. And, and that just sparked the love of the game for me just deeper. And it was always my, um, you know, we used it as our relaxation and time away. And it's still that way for me today. I think you've, I've heard you say before with baseball, you were the same class as Chipper Jones. Is that right? Correct. 
And so did you grow up a, a Braves fan? Are you still a Braves fan or? No, 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 no. I was a Cardinals fan. So um, <laughs> my dad, he retired from um, um, Scott Air Force Base, which was just on the other side of the river from St. Louis. And he retired in 1983 and we moved from there in 1983 and, and 1982 happened, which was the World Series. But in my high school class, one of the things, but it's funny you bring that up. One of the things that I try to tell dads and parents today is that the the, the reason that kids have so much pressure today is because you know, they can look on Instagram and TikTok and whatever and see the their age demographic. Yeah. The best of the best that have edited their material to the best of the best and and so on, right? Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, we didn't know who in the hell Chipper Jones was. <laughs> and and all of a sudden he gets drafted. We're like, huh, who's that dude? We knew about a couple we knew a couple other kids and you knew college kids because ESPN was broadcasting college baseball at that time before they took on major league baseball. And and so you know, I like the Braves. I, you know, I was in college when they made their run, um, and and really resonated up. You know, growing up watching. You know, I'm older than you guys, but you know, when before before Fox Sports or the local sports networks and ESPN started broadcasting every Major League Baseball game, <laughs> there were only two teams that you could watch. It was WGN and WTBS, and WTBS with the Braves, they were pitiful, and the Cubs, <laughs> and they were horrendous. And, and growing up, you, and then on the Saturdays, you had the game of the week. And I mean, this was 1985, 86, 87, right? I mean, this wasn't that long ago. I remember when we moved to Dallas after my dad retired, they had the regional network, the Texas Rangers network. So I started watching the Rangers a lot and they sucked too, but I was always a Cardinal fan. And, um, but I, I still love the Cardinals today. I don't follow baseball as much as I used to. It's, um, the game, um, is a little slow. For my, I don't have three hours to sit down and watch a game anymore, um, but I love it. I love postseason baseball. Do you watch more golf now? You know, I I I, I like watching the game. I like watching golf on the non-broadcast ways. So mm-hmm. PGA Tour live, I love to watch. Um, it, it's the greatest thing because you'll watch essentially six six players, seven players during the course of a morning or an afternoon that are not in contention. Or it may just be on the Thursday, Friday, they're getting started and you get to watch every shot. You get to see that. I love that. And I'm waiting for the digital platforms to follow what Augusta National does for the Masters, where you can watch every player's shot, no matter who your player is. I, I get tired of network broadcasts. I understand why they do it. It's not, I'm, not compl- I'm not one of those guys complaining, but if there's certain people in the field, that's all you see. And I know why that moves the needle right now. I'm not complaining about watching every shot that Tiger hits, but other guys, um, you know, sometimes you'll have a guy who's making a run and they'll say, oh, let's go over to 14 and watch it. And then you'll see the one birdie putt. And that's all you see. Right. And so you right. mo- lose those back. I get why. I think with digital platforms, I'm still waiting on PGA. And I know that they just re-upped with the Golf Channel. and, and But the television rights are going to be explosive here in the next couple of years. I'm waiting for them to put an app on, a, on our smart TVs where you can watch every shot. And what you're saying with kids, when you only see the best shots, you're not seeing any of those struggles. You're not seeing any of those mishits or, or any of the, the poor plays that, that might occur with some of those guys in the background, right? Well, and, and it's, it's really the kids get a little upset. You know, they have high expectations. But let's be honest, as dads, we are the ones that have the skewed expectations. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I mean, how, how, how did you miss that putt? Okay, well, Dad, when you played yesterday, you didn't make damn one of them, right? Okay, <laughs> and 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 I was in that boat, man. I, I walked the golf course watching my kids play for a long time, and you're like, God, I mean, you got seventy yards in. I mean, how did you make a double from there? Well, let me think. I yeah. made a double yesterday from about eighty yards in. I mean, it happens, right? But they see a tour player hit it to four feet, and they think, oh, from a hundred yards, five six feet's the standard. 
No, 20 feet's the standard. That's the norm. Uh, eight footers are 50, 50 on the PGA tour with the best clubs, the best equipment, the best greens, the best putters in the world. They're 50, 50 yeah, from eight feet. Yeah. All right. So that's just under three yards. Think about that. So, we as parents only see the best of the best. Right. And what happens is, you, you know, when you're watching a broadcast, so let's say you have, let's just use an example. Um, you know, you got a player who's not one of the marquee guys and he's in the final group with another non-marquee guy. They got like a two shot lead, right? And by the time the live broadcast comes on, they've slipped back. A marquee guy has moved up. You will not, you may see the, they may wrap up that story and say, oh, here's John Jackson. And, you know, he's had a rough day. And then you'll see him finish up on 18 because they're filling time. You'll never see that guy again. Like you'll almost forget that there was a final group besides the guy that's third from back. You know, the guy who's third from back group, they're the ones, you know, that are making the surge. And, and, and what I try to tell players is that the best players in a course of a tournament, very rarely does a Thursday guy who shoots eight under win the tournament. Okay. What happens is usually the guy who wins it is 20th, 30th place after the first day, moves up a little bit on Friday, makes a really good move on Saturday, but it's not like they went crazy low. Just as the volatility of the tournament picks up, they moved up. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, they're in striking distance and now in position to win the, the, the gurgle in the stomach picks up, the hands get tighter for some people and boom, here we go. So Brett, some tips for when we're watching golf with our kids, how can we point out kind of those different discrepancies between what we're seeing and what reality is for for those guys? I think when you watch them, you know, I think the thing to teach them about it is, you know, these are hard shots. We forget, right? We're watching the best hundred players in the world. Mm -hmm. And, And we'll say, oh, he's not any good, you know, whatever. It's like, okay. My God, <laughs> if you ever go play, there's a thread on a, on a message board. I go on uh, from LSU and to just read the internet fodder, but they had a question is how good are many tour players? I'm like many tour players, the good ones who won't make it will wipe you off the golf course. Okay. They're just so good. So what you have to do is show them. It's like, these guys are the best about what they do, but watch how they go. Watch how they play the next shot. When they make a mistake, one of the things I always started to get my kids to see is they miss a green or they flub a chip. Watch how they get in their process. They go back to what they're doing. And they usually, you know, the tour players usually don't compound errors. Okay. What they do is they put the ball back in position and then they usually will run in a putt. That's where they're really good. And I try to tell kids, it's like, watch that. They make mistakes. Okay. Game is hard. But when they make a mistake, for the most part, if they're going to have a successful career out there, they will reset, they'll refocus, they'll go back and they'll hit a good shot. They won't try to be Superman. They'll go back and deal with what they have. They'll hit the shot that's there. And uh, they'll go from there. And, and that's, that's what I try to tell kids. It's like, look, you've got the ability to, um, to, to maneuver through this. It's how you push through the minutia and the struggle. That's what I want you to watch on these tour players. They miss short putts. That's what I wanted to ask. And you really already covered it. But what separates me, an average golfer, and, and even our kids, an average teenage athlete or youth sport versus the elite well, it's kind of the same thing as what separates you and me from playing baseball or softball and then watching a Rodolus Chapman throw at 102 miles an hour with a sweep out slider. And then the guy who hits him, right? The guy who can stand up there, not Jose Altuve, who's cheating with a buzzer on his chest, <laughs> but the dude who can sit up there and be like, hey, I'm going to hit this, right? I mean, I, I've lost all respect. And uh, and I like the way the Astros built their program and and – but AJ Hinch and Alex Cora and all those guys, you know, they can they can stick it. I don't really care. I mean, I think <laughs> they they stole the games. 
um, and they ruin careers. That's the thing that I, and I get it as a baseball player. You're always looking for an edge. And sometimes those edges, you know, a little pine tar becomes more pine tar, stuff like that. I get that. So I think the slippery slope happened for them, but come on, you can't wear a buzzer out there. I think major league baseball stuffed it because there's probably other teams that were doing it too, you know, mm-hmm. but anyway, okay. What, what's the difference between us and them? Um, you know, they're, they're really good with their iron distance control. Their wedges are usually, if you watch a tour player, very rarely, they're going to hit it offline, but it's usually distance is almost always accurate. Okay. So they, they're always going to be, that, that's pretty amazing. Their, their putting speed is usually phenomenal. It's their short games. It's, they always have a ball they can hit and play off the tee. Um, it, it, but to me, success has a formula and it's skills and talent is first. I think on the tour compared to you and me, they're more talented than we are. They refine their skills more than you and me. Okay. They practice all the time. They, on their climb up the mountain, they are practicing endlessly. They have to, you know, you look at them when they're playing college and it was like, you know, what we did in baseball is seven days a week. We were out there at one and we had left at six 30. So 35 hours, uh, you know, I know college will say that you can only practice 20 hours a week. It was voluntary, <laughs> some of the other stuff, but, and then on the weekends it was more, right. And so you're putting in 40 to 45 hours a week. You're not putting in 40 to 45 hours a week practicing your game. So your centers, if you watch a tour player, pick up a driver and they have a T mark, their T mark and stripe mark is going to be pretty consistent to the dime on that driver. If mm-hmm. I pick up yours and mine, I don't care if you're, I'm a two handicap, you take a look at mine and it's got different entry spots all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm good enough to keep it in play. I'm not good enough to hit it, you know, where I want to every time. Let yeah. me ask you guys you're working with, who's on a different level mentally? I mean, who, who in your experience is just uh, far and above, above everyone else? I mean, talent um, mentally. I mean, you know, they're all, they're all different. I mean, I could, I can go through them all. I mean, John Rom is, is a fiery kid who, who knows how to reset. He's kind of like a Tiger Woods when Tiger was young and that he uses that energy and that emotion to channel himself to fight. Um, you know, how many times he was, he, when he was playing WGC in Mexico a year and a half ago, um, or this past year, actually, it's been a weird year. Um, he was pretty bad through the first 27 holes, no cut. So he was okay. And then he made a couple of birdies coming in, got it under par. And the next day, and I texted him, I said, dude, I'm so proud of you the way you fought. He goes, oh, you know me, I'll never quit. I said, nope. Next day he shoots 10 under and was up in the, up, up near the lead. Um, so he's amazing. Billy Horschel is extremely driven, focused, what he does. Um, absolute competitor, generous heart, um, loves the game. Brian Harmon is a fighter. Um, he, he's got some misunderstanding about him of the fact that he doesn't hit it very far. I've watched him fly it by the long hitters. Um, he hits it very far. Um, and his short game is world-class. Patton Kazire is a brilliant Hudson. So, I mean, I could go down the list of them. Um, they're all different in their own way. The brilliance of what they are is, is the second factor of success to me is how they apply it under pressure and knowing who their psychological fingerprint is. That's what you and I aren't good at, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you watch a player, you know, we do these pro-ams out there and you watch and guys come in and there's fans and all of a sudden all the players are just pissing on themselves. Like they're nervous mm-hmm. um, because people are watching them. Those guys on tour, they get nervous, but they, they hit shots in front of people all the time. And when you look at the galleries and how tight the galleries are now, there are some advantages and I'll say this and, and look, they don't have lost balls very often because they have galleries who will find mm-hmm. their ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got certain holes that don't frame very well and they put, stands up and it frames the hole very well. Um, you know, you, you, you can hit it through a thing and get a free drop right behind the hole. Um, 
they don't normally do that, but there are times that you'll see that. So there's some advantages to that, but for the most part, it's more disadvantages, more challenge. They want to play. They love the juice. They love the feel. The third one is mental flexibility. So when you're talking about who's mentally superpower, one of the things that we think about is we think that these dudes are so focused all the time and they don't have doubts and they don't have, Oh my God, they, they all have doubts and insecurities. And, and it's funny is you, they have the same ones that you and I have They you know, they worry about their career. One of my players is worth a ton. And he's like, I just, you know, think, I think we're going to start trying to have kids. I think we're now financially, have enough money in the bank to be able to have a child. I'm like, dude, I had our first child when we had maybe $75 in the bank. Okay. <laughs> you will find right. a way. I mean, yeah. you know, um, when we were in Rhode Island doing my internship at Brown with two kids, we would go to the mall because that air conditioning and, and if we had to be out by three, three uh, after three hours, or they would charge us, we'd have the money to get out. I said, you're going to be <laughs> yeah. fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last one is, is they manage, they man their success. They manage, luck very well. One of the things to remember is a randomness. One of the things to think about is a tour player wins 80% of their money in five events a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. They're going to play 25 to 30 events in a year. Mm-hmm. They're going to make the other 20% in those 80% of their events. They're not good all the time. One of the things that I really try and work hard on my players is get the most out of each round, get the most out of each tournament. You may not have it this week and God, it sucks. It happened at the masters, but mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's what happened. Okay. It happened this week. I mean, parents who are listening to this, Dustin Johnson shot 80 in a PGA tour event before he got on this run. What happened? He got focused. He wasn't the misnomer about Dustin is he doesn't care. He trust me. He works really hard. If you saw his emotion in the interview after Augusta, that will tell you everything. He Absolutely. just knows who he is and goes about it his way. Okay. And he got on a, he got on a run and he is hot right now. He is. So, I mean, he's won twenty freaking times, twenty five times on the PGA Tour. He's not. A, he's not a fluke. This dude has won on every different type of golf course. Um, and you know, people say, "Always oh, look." His mindset. If you, he was a baseball player, he'd walk in. I think him and Brooks Kepka are baseball players playing golf. They walk in and they're like, "All right, what's the challenge today?" And we have to understand who we are. We, you know, I, I think as parents, we have to allow our kids to find who they are and to create their their own relationship with the game because it is to even my tour players and my college players and my mini tour players, the game is it's punishing. It's exposing. It's exhausting, but damn, it's fun. That's the problem. (laughs) It is. Yeah. And Brett, you touched on it real quick. um, But can you kind of elaborate a little bit on the process? So you you talk about the process and then, and maybe you can help us as amateur golf, not piss ourselves on the first tee when just one person is watching. Yeah, but you're gonna, and that's fine. Right? <laughs> and, and nerves, nerves is nothing. And nerves are nothing but arousal. Okay, so when you're when you're facing an uncertainty, it's the uncertainty is mostly we're going to look at the uncertainty and think, oh my gosh, what's it going to mean about me? What's it going to do to me? What's it going to create in me? Right. Well, the problem with that is our body has to respond to it. It doesn't respond to it by getting quiet, tired, and laying down. It does it by building up. Well, if you're used to it, you go, oh, this is all. I love the adrenaline or excitement. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, what happens is your brain starts searching for reasons it's under threat. Oh, that guy's going to judge me. See, found the threat. So now it builds us up even more to that uncertainty. But now we have a known threat. So the process is, you know, a lot of people in my field work do a lot on pre-shot routines and stuff like that. And as a baseball player, 
there is definitely a pre-shot routine element that we have to go through, but I'm okay with whatever you want to make it. Like if you want to lick your lips and wiggle your toes before you go, just carry extra chapstick. Like I'm cool with that. Whatever you believe that works for you. There's a couple of things that people do that when we're under stress, we have arousal. One of the things that we do is we tend to go faster. Okay. So we don't allow ourselves to sit in it. Like take a deep breath. Okay. Look, I'm nervous. Like, yeah. And I got a big putt here or, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to flub a chip. Okay. So sit in it for a minute. Like, all right. All right. What do I want to do? So take a deep breath, accept it. Don't fight it. Don't fight the negative thoughts. Don't fight the negative feelings. Just kind of be present. And then, all right, what do I want to do? And be clear and then step into it. If you do those two things, we're good. Most people do what I call the rocking horses. They're like, okay, let's go. And it's never sat. And so it's cluttered. And by the time they get over the ball, you know, you're, you've got way too many thoughts in here. Usually a clear mind starts behind the ball and you get the clear mind in behind the ball. Then it creates the process through the swing and it's pretty locked in. The problem is when we've got all the stress and the worry, and we don't want something negative to happen. By the time we step into the ball, our mind is looking for threat and trying to fix it. Yeah. And I think a lot of us as amateur golfers, we kind of dwell on that negative thought. I think, you know, you might be able to speak on this more than me, but it seems like all those pro guys are, um, they have short memories, you know, if they hit a flub or something, they, they move on from it real quick. Whereas I hold yeah. on to it the rest around thinking well, I think, about, my think about a shank, right? Yeah. A, a shank or a flub chip, right? They, those are two when we go and we're like, Oh my God, Oh, oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. I've got a player like Mike. They do those all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, some of them do it on purpose. They know how to shank it on purpose to do it for fun. And there was, was it Joel Dahman who talked about that where he was it him or it may have been him. He goes out sometimes and he works on hitting shanks on the range oh, really? because he's like, that's the worst thing. And they know a shank is really not that far off. And a flub is, you know, something that just happens. Right. What they do is that they, they hurt. It's like getting, it's like taking a right cross in a boxing match. It stings them. The difference between you and me, when we take a right cross, we try to swing harder at the next guy and try to knock out the guy who just hit us. They, cover up, they protect, they manage through it. They allow the cobwebs to, to work. And they also have caddies. They'll step in and say, okay, look, let's get reset here. Let's focus. And they may, you know, you know, just totally undress their caddy, but the caddy knows that's their job. Like that's fine. It's nothing personal, mm-hmm. but the difference between you and me is it's like, when you flub a chip, you don't go through your process again. You don't walk it out. You watch them hit a bad shot. They'll walk where they want the ball to, to land. Mm-hmm. They'll do it all again. They just won't walk right up and hit it again. We hit it again to hurry up and get out of it. Right. Right. So if we talk, we're talking Dustin Johnson's, uh, Dustin Johnson. I mean, his caddy is not his swing coach. It's not his psychologist. It's not his mentor. And it's not usually his dad. Um, but as parents, we assume all those roles when we're, when yeah. our kids are in golf. I mean, we put way too much pressure on ourselves to be dad, to be coach, to be swing coach, caddy, everything. And you talked about it and, I don't think many of us will want our kids addressing us on the course. Uh, what can we do as parents to be better on and off the course, especially if you're working with your kids, on, you know, to be better golfers? Yeah. So a caddy, a caddy's job. And the cool thing about a PGA tour caddy or no PGA caddies, they're the only person other than the player that's inside the ropes. So what we do as parents and dads is we try to fix all the time. Okay. On the next one, make sure you keep your hands forward. Make sure your setup is right. Make sure, you know, make sure you're taking the putter back the right way. On tour, they're like, okay, what's our next shot? Now, they're not, they're not as um, dealing with such random swings, per se, is that they have on the PGA. Uh, you know, with us, we're trying to coach our kids as well as guide them. Walking with our kids, we're, we're very reactionary. We're trying to fix them constantly. 
if you ever opened up your computer in the morning and it, and it's like you click on an app and it just spins and you think your computer's doing nothing, but behind the scenes it is grinding and the Ram is just eaten up. Well, when we're over coaching our kids on the golf course, that's what's happening. They are trying to please you because every kid wants to please their kid, their parents. They're trying to do it right. They're trying to compete. They're trying to have fun, right? There is so much fun. Um, they're trying to do all that stuff. And then we're, they're going, okay, now, now listen, when you take the club back, make sure you don't go all the way back. Now make sure you stop. Remember what coach said. And then the next hole, you're doing something different with them. And they're like, they just get to a point, but because they're compliant, because they're y'all's child, then they're like, all right, I'm doing it. And then by the end, they're so confused. So confused. The best thing to do is not try to coach them. Let them listen. Why? We all do this too. You hit a hundred great shots on the range and they're good. You hit one pull drive and all of a sudden we're changing swing. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Or, Let or them buying just push a new their, club. Or buying a new two. club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes our, our approach breaks down. Sometimes our thought process breaks down. Sometimes it's just harder. Like the, you know, I can practice climbing the mountain at the bottom of a mountain. I can visualize every step, but when you're sitting up there with, and you don't know if your you know, rope is secure and a rock moves from underneath you, that's different. Um, you know, I can ride as fast as I want on my Peloton, but if I'm running, if I'm racing my bike out on the road and somebody can knock me over and a semi can hit me, it's different. It's the same with golf, even though it looks the same. And even though it doesn't look hard, it is volatile. It is very difficult. It is very challenging. And we have to give our kids uh, the best thing that we can do for parents is like, look, let's keep going. Come on, let's get the next one. You know what to do. You know what to do. Like, and, and be that positive source for them because they don't know how to be positive. They've never been there. They've never been in a situation where they've probably had the confidence and that belief. I think there comes a point for all of our kids that the best thing to do is, is stop caddying for them. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell a story when my oldest daughter who is 23 now, she, she was one of those kids that practiced really well and then go out and shoot 120 and she wanted to play well. And she, she really struggled. And eventually she, she figured it out going into her senior year in high school, she started shooting even par, played great. Just didn't have the power to play college and didn't really have the desire to play college, which was great. Um, but she, I remember I would go to a tournament and I'd sit there and I'd watch, you know, I have my sunglasses on and I'd walk and, and, you know, is your parent outside the ropes? So five and a half, six hours, seven an hour round can be painful. Um, and she'd always look over at me and go like, what's the matter? I'm like, nothing. Oh, you sure you're not upset? No. Why would I be upset? Now I was probably reacting if she missed a shot or something like that and didn't realize it. So I started listening to podcasts while I walked and I'd usually, I wouldn't listen to like self-development stuff. I would listen to like murder mysteries because mm-hmm. it would keep my attention for six, seven, eight hours. Um, I would chew sunflower seeds because it would, it would block my um, facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was, and, and I also asked her, where do you want me to stand? Because as parents, we think, you know, I've got some parents who are like, I like to stand behind them. You know, well, they're working with them on their swing. The kid knows that. Um, some, some players, even my PGA Tour players, we have to tell their parents, don't go up by the green. They'll always see them. Like, I can hear my dad's whistle when I pitched in the College World Series. It was 25,000 people. I can hear my dad's whistle. Um, we are so conditioned to find our parents. And so we're so conditioned to their responses. And our job is to never give them a situation where they would ever question in the heat of the moment. They're doing things that we don't do. And, you know, I find that we as parents create more impediments for our kids than we create opportunities. And it's all well-intentioned. We're like of many of Lenny of mice and men. We love our kids so much. We crush them. Mm -hmm. 
So step back, let them have their time, ask them where they want you to play, to walk. I would always try to walk about a whole, half a hole behind. But, you know, when you're playing junior golf, sometimes you got to have four caddies because they yeah. need help to find their golf balls. So you need to ask your kids and they'll say, oh, I don't care. No, they do care. And then when you're done playing, this is the other thing. When you're done playing, whether you're a caddy or outside the ropes, when they come off the course, that's not the time to coach them. They've right. been in the grinder for five and a half, six hours. They're tired. They probably didn't eat. Kids don't eat anything on the golf course. So they, they should, but they don't. And they come off and then dad's like, oh, okay, look, hey, on four, um, like four, what happened on that chip? I mean, I like, <laughs> you know, and it's like coming in from you know, traffic and, and then somebody says, why'd you make that decision at 823 this morning? What the hell are you talking about? Give them two or three hours. Take notes if you need to. Then ask them, hey, where do you want to go eat? Like every kid wants to go eat somewhere. No kid wants to go home and have home cooked meatloaf. Ask them where they want to go eat after they play and go eat and sit down and don't talk about it. Ask them. But here's the other rule I have. If they have a, just a horrendous day. Okay. Don't go running off of the golf course. Don't get in the car and call the coach. Don't. I hate that. One is what, what can I do as a coach? Yeah. My heart hurts. I want my kids to succeed. It's, it's not about me, but I want my kids to succeed because I want them to have that experience. But what happens is, you know, when we leave, we teach our kids that the only thing that, is good is playing well. Instead, when they play bad, have them after this COVID crap is over, have them sit around and eat lunch and order food if they have a good grill there and let everybody come in and talk. And people go, Hey, Susie, what'd you shoot? Oh, I didn't have a good day, but God, you played really good. Nobody cares that you played bad. All people care about is how they played. So if they can learn to communicate with them and say, Hey, look, you did really good. Then all of a sudden it realizes it's not the end of the world then they'll get an advantage. Yeah. How did, so talk about your experience kind of, it sounds like both your daughters kind of played golf from younger ages. Maybe how did, how did that kind of transpire? Did they pick it up on their own or did you kind of take them out with you to the range and how that all no, I, I would, I would say I took it out with them to the range. I mean, I, I, it was something I wanted to do. I wanted them to do. Um, and they, uh, um, they, you know, they, they, they enjoyed the game. They liked coming out. I probably made the same mistakes that every, I, I know I made the same mistakes that every player made. Um, but they, they, uh, I, sh I wish I would have taken them out more and just said, let's get a Butterfinger and go hit shots around the golf course and made it super, super fun. But you know, you always got this pressure, right? You know, you got limited time as a parent and stuff like that, but they would come out and hit balls and, and on the range. Um, my oldest one enjoyed it more. My old, my youngest one who probably had a lot more talent, a lot more swing speed, she didn't enjoy the competition. She, she told us one time, she said, I'd rather work at the tournament than play in it. But she was really good. And everyone would always get caught up and be like, why don't you want to do this? I don't, her thing is, I don't want to. So it became a chore for her. And we just eventually were like, look, you just do it your own way. And, and she perceived pressure to play well when she really didn't need to. But that's just kind of her personality anyways. You know, she likes to, she, she likes to be the fan. She doesn't necessarily like to be the one in the arena. Um, but it, it was, you know, I, I enjoyed coming out. My youngest one, it was a little bit harder to get her to come out on her own, um, despite the fact that people would tell her how good she was. And I think that was probably an issue. My youngest, my oldest one loved to come out, loved the social side of it. And if there were 10 girls out here playing, she probably would have picked up the game a lot faster and stayed in it. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that clubs make is that they don't, they don't make it easy for juniors to enjoy the game. Clubs get short-sighted. I know they're a pain sometimes because they're always on the putting green or chipping green. And 
you know, the 70 year old dude comes up and can't find a hole to put on and is mad at the kids, you know, yeah. those young whippersnappers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Those 70 year old club members forget who's going to be the next members. You know, they, they forget that. And they, the, the most powerful thing is if you have an older member who can come over and be friendly and supportive to the kids, they'll, there's some we have at our club that have been like that, that, that are just the most amazing people to these kids. They talk to them, they play putting games with them and they know them all. And, and I think that helped my kids to feel like our club, we have 36 holes. We have two different facilities within one subdivision and it's kind of a unique thing. And, and so they would go to both of them and, and uh, you know, they, they would have their way and do it. And then they would call and, and leave. And um, but I got to a spot that I stopped going out, coming out because one, I got busy, but two is I also think I was probably creating more pressure just implicitly. Yeah. With coaching and if we're dads and we step away, you know, our, our fear is always that, you know, that coach isn't good enough for my kid. So yeah. what are some signs we should look for as a parent that maybe there, there is something wrong with the coaching? Well, the thing with a coach is, are you talking about an external coach, somebody yeah. other than you? Yeah. Well, you're in a different league or, or whatnot and someone else is you coaching your kid. Yeah. One of the things that people make, I, I get this call a lot. Hey, my kid has seen and lists like the top seven or eight. And I'm like, great. Okay. But there's also a young player, young pro at that club that has more time and will spend more time with them. And they may not be working, you know, they may not be bouncing between the PGA tour and your kid. Maybe they don't need that. And maybe they, they just need somebody to spend some time with them and make them feel empowered and not feel intimidated. Like I've never enjoyed the fact that a coach is, is essentially the guru. The, the coach isn't the guru. The player's the guru. The player's the one that's got to learn how to hit the chips. And so there's one thing that I want a player to do is to take the information, translate it to them. So if you tell me to hit a chip this way, then I need to go take that and work on it. If the coach is, is authoritative, that's not good. Okay. If they're like, no, you have to do it this way. And, and I, I see that. Um, no, you don't. Like if you can figure out how to get the ball in the hole and that works for you, do it. Like I don't, I want them to coach the kid, not, not, not the swing. The best coaches will coach the kid. They'll coach who that kid is. They'll coach what that kid's personality is. If, if the coach can teach through making it fun and the kid wants to be at the teaching facility and wants to be on the, then that coach is doing their job. If, if it's one of these things like, hey, call coach real quick. Oh, I don't want to bother him. Then that tells me there's an issue there. Number two is your, your kid's coach doesn't need to come to every event and doesn't need to text after every event. Like as parents, we got to give them a break. They have a job as well. But your kid is not a number. They care greatly. They're just sometimes they're trying to give the kids space. They're not trying to smother. Um, I want the kid to also have the ability to um, – to, to want to be a part of the game and to also want to be out there and, and enjoying it and to be able to ask questions and not feel stressed and not feel worried about what's going on. So I think as a coach, a player, uh, uh, as a parent, we need to know that the kid wants to go to lessons. I think that's big. Don't be afraid to get the young kid in the teaching facility. They may not have all the information, but they're being mentored by the, the head, but that, that age dif- difference may be more fun. They may be cooler. They may be more hip. You know, they may have the right lingo. They may talk about TikTok videos. That's okay. If in an hour session, they're talking about 10 t- t- TikTok videos. That's amazing. Yeah. Something I know nothing about. I have no <laughs> idea about TikTok. So yeah. <laughs> but you know, but, that, but there's, it, it's the fun thing, right? If, if, if they're coming in there and they're like, Hey, come on in, hit some shots. Okay. Let's do this. The kid's not going to 
have fun. But if the, if the coach is out there and is like, hey, I, I created a chipping game, we're going to have to chip it over that and under this. Hey, let's go in the trees. More than likely, the kid's going to be like, that's fun stuff. There's usually kid like, it's cool to say, hey, I'm going to go see a big name coach, but then have an implementer maybe. You don't have to pay $800 an hour for you know, great swing coaching. Like When they get up on tour, then we may want to intensify. But until then... I think trial and error is so critical. And, and I think we don't do that enough. I think we're so afraid to do the wrong thing because of what it's, if I don't fix this swing now, they're going to always be over the top when they, well, no, their body's going to change. That physically, they're going to be able to put the club at a different spot. But if they're constantly walking around trying to put the club in the right spot because they're afraid they're going to swing it inappropriately, they're never going to swing it with speed. And I think that's the thing that my coach for my kids says is just like, you know, let's not coach a swing. They're going to grow, you know, a mm-hmm. foot in like two years. So let's just work with what we have and make it fun. So they want to keep working on it. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, and I think we have to be careful too, because having, you know, in girls golf, right. You, you get out there and there's that one girl whose parents have homeschooled them from the kid, from the start. Um, their yeah. swing is freaking amazing. They get up and it's like, they're playing in the, eight and under club championship. And that girl hits it 180 yards off the tee and you're under eight kid hits it 20 yards. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's not fun for our kids, right? But the early specializers do get a massive advantage. The problem is, is that we don't really follow them and we don't see all the other dysfunction that comes with it down the road. They don't have the ability to lose. They don't have ability. And when kids switch over from swimming or softball and they bring that swimming mindset, in when they're just hurting and they can find a way all of a sudden they pick up the game of golf and they may be a little rusty, but man, they can play. Then all of a sudden they start beating that super specialized kid who got recruited as a 14 year old. Right. And you know, it's one of those things that's really fascinating. You know, I just saw a tweet last night, Gabby ruffles ruffles, who's probably the top amateur in the world. Didn't pick up the game of golf till she was 14. Yeah. Okay. Now uh, our brother's a pro. And so she's got some pretty good genetics in there, but you know, you look at those things, it's like, let them play, let them hit it hard. Let them have fun with it. Yes. They're going to three putt. Don't, don't, don't tell them if you can get rid of three putts, you could be really good. No, three putts happen. Um, Don't tell them to be calm, but let them, let them find themselves. Uh, There's a couple, there's one gentleman in town who I love. He's, he was the PGA professional of the year not the teaching professional. We have the teaching professional um, at our course, a PGA coach of the year this year. Um, but they, they have every year, their club championship for juniors is not an afterthought. And at a lot of clubs, it's an afterthought. It's uh, let's see, we have a football, big football game weekend this weekend. Yeah. It's a great time to have the junior club championship and kids realize that, Oh, it's like, Hey, we just, man, we just threw some chicken fingers on the back. No. So what they do is they play a two-day tournament and, and it's every kid in the club who plays golf. Last year, they had 220. Wow. They have a full banquet on Saturday night, coat and tie, dresses. They bring the chef in. Now, the chef may be making chicken fingers and spaghetti, and, but they bring in guest speakers and they take pictures and they make it where the kids want to be a part of it. And that's what we have to do as parents is like, let them see the bigness of the game. There's always a click that happens somewhere for the kid where all of a sudden it's like, it becomes their game. Let them uh, allow them the time and the flexibility to do that. Allow them to get out there and be like, Hey, I was hitting chips today with an eight iron and man, I was really good at that. Awesome. 
Yeah. You know, and they'll pick up things from friends. So with that, um, with kids, I mean, I know I get on the course and there's a lot of times I hit that bad shot and I crumble and I look back and it's self-sabotage with the kids. Why do they do that? Why do you see that self-sabotage in, in their own games? Well, just like you said, you do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. The apple doesn't fall far I mean, from the tree. Jerry. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you, the game is hard, right? I mean, you, how many times do we see it in tournaments and PGA tournaments where a guy hits a bad shot and all of a sudden it just, you lose your momentum. It, it's the best way to describe it is literally like being in a boxing match where you catch, you caught a right cross and it stuns you and you were never the same fighter in that match. Okay. Again, some guys can handle it. You know, this year Hudson Swafford had a four shot lead and the back nine in Dominican flubbed a couple chips and then still won. Um, John Rahm at the Masters was tied for the lead and, and hit that just a really poor three wood on eight. It got him in a lot of trouble. He just never really recovered. He's still top 10, but he, he just never, it just happens, right? Mm-hmm. As a pitcher, you're pitching great and all of a sudden you lose your release point and then you give up a home run and ball game. I don't know why. It, it just does. And I think the thing is we, we can never try to have the idea of try to be calm. We can never have the idea of try to be, let's just try to get it back. No, it happened. Like it happened. Um, when we're watching our kids in golf, sometimes we can see it coming. And it was the analogy that I use. It's like watching a puppy get hit in the road. Like you can see it coming. You know, the <laughs> car is going to hit that dog and you just, you just nothing you can do about it. Um, and that's what sometimes we see with our kids. It's like, you can see the meltdown coming. You can see the bad play. Okay. But what did they learn from it? Maybe they got to 14th hole before that happened. Okay. That's good. I think a lot of it too is expectations, right? For me. I mean, I, if I'm setting up for the round, I'm like, oh, I birdied the first hole. Like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot my best round of the, the, the my entire life, and then all of a sudden I double a second, and it's like, oh my gosh, like yeah, just go from high to lows. Yeah, I mean, expectations are a killer. They're the devil's playground because what happens is you take that uncertainty and you start expecting to play well based on what, based on right. what you know about today. No, yeah, based on what you've done in the past or what you're hoping to do in the future. Never about what you know. So when you're playing great, you have no expectations, mm-hmm. but you know, kids get in trouble with this. Oh, I've done so much work. I should have no. Now you're trying to prove that you've done so much work. Um, let's just say the other yesterday when I played, we had had a Christmas party the night before and I was a little cloudy yesterday morning when I teed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the first six holes, I played amazing. <laughs> and once the cloudiness became a headache, I didn't play as well. And, but when I was literally just like, I'm gonna get this tee up, this ball on the tee. And that doesn't happen to me very often. It was just, just one of those nights. And, um, I'm not advocating that parents, but it just happened. <laughs> okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things. It's like, beware the sick golfer. Why? When a player's out there just sick, doesn't feel well, they don't have any expectations. They don't care if they're hitting it solid. They, they're just good enough. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. That's how we need to play. Right. Like why we hit a ball. Like, I love this. Man, I had to save that. Like, that's bad. Like, if you were walking down Alpha Steps and you tripped and you went, oh, I had to save that, you'd be like, man, I'm so good. (laughs) But in golf, it's like, I'm such an idiot. I had to save. No, that means that you did your job. You saved the swing. But what we think is, oh, my God, I had to save that swing. I'm so bad that I can't. Do you really think about the biomechanic miracle that it is of hitting a golf shot? Set up to a club every time. You set up to a ball with a club in your hand that has a small sweet spot. You take your material, you take your energy away from the ball, away from the target. You set it, you bring it back through. You try to square it up to an instant to, to shoot a ball down a fairway 
180, 200 yards away into a little hole with obstacles. And I know there's that great bit from Robin Williams about going to Scotland, but it is true when you think about the miraculous nature of swinging a golf club. We're not, I'm not knocking soccer players, but you can play really good at soccer and very rarely does the ball ever hit your foot. And I'm not knocking them. And baseball, I'm going to knock the right fielders. You can, you know, right fielders are going to <laughs> yeah, the athletes pitch and catch. But the the truth is the, you know, the, the, the dudes, you know, we can go out and play. I mean, we can play an entire good game of soccer and influence the game without ever really being in the grinder. Golf, you're in the grinder on every shot. So why can't my 10-year-old do it? No, I'm just, I mean, exactly. that's what, that's what that's dads what, think, right? That's what we think, right? Isn't that crazy? And, and we put dads, listen, I've been there. Be the dad that the kid says afterwards, I loved my time playing with my dad. Don't make it work. The f- best thing that you can do is get somebody in. You can go to your pro and say, look, I want to set up a program with them. Um, we had a junior club program out here for a while. We still do where every day they showed up and they created combines for them and they trained and, and it was really good. It was social. Um, there's things to do. Tournaments are great. Not every tournament needs to be the AGGA Rolex. If the tournament is, it's fun. They enjoy it. They get to play with some good friends. Great. You are not creating a kid that needs to be recruited as a freshman in high school. Let the kid enjoy themselves. Let the, the game will go. You want them to have something where they look back and they come home and they say, Hey, let's go play golf today. And you get out there and, and you go eat and you know, you enjoy it. Like what else better is that? Right. You can do it for years too. When we're 80 and our kids are 80, 50, yeah. that, you know, that's, yeah. That's the thing. So if you had to look back and uh, your kids, your girls growing up, what would you say if, if we asked them, what would you say their most fun memory of golf with you was or is? You know, I think probably going to the tournaments and spending the night and having going, taking them out to dinner and um, getting up in the morning and, and being there for them. I, I also grew up in a situation where my parents never missed my sporting events. So I did everything I possibly could. I'd fly out after they were done to go out on tour and go work with my players. And they all knew that. Um you know, I was like, look, I'm, uh, my daughter's got a tournament on Monday afternoon. I'll be there Tuesday. And they're like, yeah, cool. Let me know how it goes. Um, and so I, I always made that present. I always wanted to be there. My job, my career, and everything I've ever done in my life, I've always worked that out. It may mean that I'm doing more work at night, but um, I wanted to be out there. Um, I took pictures. Um, you know, I think one of the coolest things was my, um, my daughter's, you know, the second to last tournament my daughter played, my oldest one, she was co-medalist. That was awesome. My last tournament that my youngest daughter played, she was playing great until she was like even until the AD walks up and goes, hey, you're even. Let's keep it going. And she made a nine on that hole. <laughs> um, and to this day, she's still angry at him. But she finished with a birdie on the last hole to a really tough pit in front of everybody. And it was a really tough weekend for her for some other reasons. But um, and she made the putt. And, and the best thing that she had some there was just some personality issues on the team and um, she, uh, she got done the opposing coach that we'd been around for eight years, walked up to her and said, and she's crying and she's hugging her. And, and this is, we loved her call her high school golf coach. Um, and the opponent's golf coach walked up to my daughter, hugged her and said, I've watched you for five years. You are the most compassionate, 
most connected kid to every one of my teammates. If I could have 10 of you on my team every year, I would. And I thought at that time, that was the best compliment that you could ever give my daughter. Because despite the fact that she had one girl on her team, I'm not throwing stones, who just every year in a big tournament, this girl's a good player. She would create drama on the team so that the attention would get off of her. And, and my daughter, it took the brunt. It was always the older kid and she was older. It, it happened for four years. I saw, I'm a psychologist. I watched it happen. And of course it happened to my daughter. But um, what happened was she got done and it was so, it was so nice to say you made a birdie on your last hole. You played really well. The team, the other girls did not play well. Um, and that's why they didn't get to advance to go to state, which we're glad. As my daughter said, with the drama that was happening, I didn't want to go to state. I was done. And like, I, I'm not going to put up with that type of stuff. And, um, but she, to get that compliment from the opposing coach was brilliant. Yeah. Proud dad moment too, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, so your podcast, The Secrets to Winning, you've interviewed a lot of great people. What's coming up next on your podcast and, and where can listeners find you? So we're right now we, um, we're kind of trying to think what we've got coming up. We're, we're, we're going to quiet it down for the next three months because I'm finishing writing the book called Break Free from Suckville. Hmm. Um, Suckville is this idea that it's great for parents where it's this idea that kids are always falling short of their potential. And they ignore the reality and the, and that space between reality and potential is what I call suckville because you always think you suck. The problem is we always raise our potential. We always raise what our ideal should be and we ignore what our reality is. So for the next three months, I'm going to quiet it down just a little bit, just so I can finish the book. And then we're going to come back out with the idea. I, I've been transitioning lately to more um, things that interest me and this week I had on um, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, who is the world renowned specialist on memory, because I want, I was fascinated by how um, players can look at their past with, with a certain scope and vision. And so I was like, well, she's a specialist on false memories. She's testified and been an expert witness on just every major case of false memories there is. And I was thinking, man, and she was, she was actually like, Brett, that's a never thought about how we look at our performance in the past and how we rewrite it. And, and so it got me thinking. And so for players, you know, if you look back and you think, I suck, I suck, I suck, you're going to suck. But if you can look back at it and learn to shift and change that memory a little bit, you can create a positive outlook. Um, I've got, uh, I've, I've had some really good podcasts over the past year and a half. Um, Ryan Holiday, who did The Obstacle is the Way and Ego is the Enemy, which are brilliant mm -hmm. books for anyone to read. Um, really a modern day philosopher um, of stoic philosophy. Um, one of my favorite ones to listen to was one that I did in the past with the guy who's the band director at university of Alabama. And, and I'll leave it with this for parents is that he said, you know, anywhere you go in the world, you always want to have your best performance. You know, he said, I'd go out there. He was a world-class French horn player that actually got the yips of his lips. I know it's crazy, right? But he, he struggled with it because he just got overwhelmed with it. And he said, what I realized was I was putting these expectations on to be my best today. Like I wanted to have today was my best performance ever. And he said, a guy told me one time, your best is a once in a lifetime experience. So is today the one day that you want to be at your best or can you find the best that you have available today? And he said that shifted everything. And that's what we need to do as parents is we need to allow our kids to find the best that they have available that day, not the best ever. And, and so those are the podcasts. They're all online. They're all um, some of the YouTube videos that we've done and we've gone out and spent some time and, and, uh, you know, I love it and I love doing, it. I love podcasting. I love, I want to spend some time doing this a little bit more on some other people's podcasts. And uh, so 
you know, just fluid. That's me though. I've changed the name of the podcast three times. People are like, why is it changing? I'm like, I don't know. I just changed it. I can't change the color of my hair, but I can change that. And yeah, it's fun. I just, I just enjoy doing it. Yeah. Your, your last episodes are really, really fun. The memory expert one, she was on the Oklahoma city bombing case. Oh yeah. That was really cool stuff. Um, I loved your episode with Eric Gorno. That's one of my favorites that you've done. Yeah. That's yeah. down. Um, yeah. That was a, that, that was fun. We did a lot of really cool ones in uh, at the PGA um, show kind of in the lobby of a big conference. Mm-hmm. And it's fun because I, you know, ambient background noise is fun and stuff like that, but it was tough. You know, they've all had a drink or two in them and they're having fun and they're loose and they're comfortable. <laughs> and what happened was we did it two years ago and I had guys standing in line to get up on the podcast. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, come on. I, I did 16 in one night. Wow. And I was like, guys, and they're just like, Hey, I'm, I'm gonna be back. It's like, okay. And those are fun. So if you in golf, we have a bunch of those series coming. So the next three months, we're going to rehash some just so I can finish the book. And then we're going to come back out with another push and have a lot of fun. I mean, it's, I don't look at download rates. I don't look at anything. I know, all I know is when people call, they'll say, Hey, I listened to this podcast you did. And I'm like, that's what it's about. It's a living enduring document. And I know for you guys too, it's just, you look back and you think, man, that's some good stuff there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. I mean, definitely helped us out. For us, uh, like you pointed out, golf is an incredibly difficult sport. So we chose the two hardest things in life, golf and raising kids. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, where, the, where this is born out of, you know? Well, and one of the things I always tell all my, all my teachers, look, we're dealing with people's most valuable assets in their lives, their kids. Yep. You know, it. and so sometimes our coaches have to have a little compassion to that too. You know, I, I laugh when coaches who don't have kids will tell me it's like you're just too hard on your kids or you're just you're you just i'm like okay when you have kids then you talk to me um that's what matters to me yeah every kid is somebody's kid you know every coach and every teacher should yes yes um and and i think we've got to we just got to really be aware of what that process is and that difficulty but make it fun for our kids take them and let them go and have a good time and go eat I, i think the things i remember about playing baseball or you know, the times where we'd go eat meals at, with my parents afterwards, or you're meeting people from all over the country and, and you start to follow them and th- let's not make our kids superstars. And if they're really good, teach them how to help the kid who's not very good. And if they're not very good, teach them how to learn to find something that they've overcome, that they've learned that will empower them for life. I'm telling you that that ability to solve that puzzle is what it's all about. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate it, Dr. McCabe. Thanks for coming on the show. You just listened for free. Now here's the deal. Go to our website at birdiedads.com and join us. You will get our golf starters guide and our golf coloring book for kids free right now by signing up. It just takes an email. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.